Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. and thanks for joining us this morning online. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers and even our grandmothers out there. What better way to celebrate than worshiping together uh, this morning? I am fully, completely out of quarantine hair mode. As you can tell, I got my fresh cut for Mother's Day. So I'm excited to celebrate with you today as well. And I know that Mother's Day can be a tough day for some of you out there for various reasons. Um, so we, although we want to celebrate our mothers this morning, we certainly want to more generally celebrate our women this morning at North. And one of the ways we're doing that, actually, is by answering the crucial question that we are answering this morning. Uh, If you've been with us throughout this series, you know that our Crucial Questions series is focused on answering the questions that are most typically asked in the Christian faith, things about Christianity, things about the Bible, things about faith and culture. And we've been taking all of these questions from you as they've been coming to us online. And so our question for today, as we celebrate Mother's Day, is... Why did God create male and female? Now, that might not sound like an overly Mother's Day type of question, but as we get into this, we're going to be exploring this bigger picture of why it is that God has created us as male and female, and then we're going to do something a little bit different than we've normally done throughout this series. We're going to have an opportunity to sit down uh, with Kirsten Snary, who is a member of our staff, and we're going to talk about what it means to celebrate the image of God in women, and so it's going to be a great thing. I'm really excited for that. We'll get to that here in just a little bit, but before we do, let's explore this question of why did God create male and female? And that question really for most of church history has been assumed for the most part because the culture around the church has mainly held beliefs that were static about gender in particular. But as you've probably noticed more recently, especially in the modern West, uh, our culture has understood gender differently than maybe we have in the past. And specifically what has happened is that we've we've kind of had this movement towards separating biological sex from gender, which is now becoming more in, in tune with, with kind of this idea of fluid gender, uh, fluid gender and less away from this idea of male and female gender or what is known as binary. Um, in case you're not familiar with this, to explain that perspective, I, I got a quote from a guy by the name of Jay Mickelson, who, Michelson, excuse me, who is a a journalist, and he explains really this perspective about gender and sex that is kind of permeating through our culture right now. And he says this, remember, sex is not the same as gender. Definitionally, sex is about chromosomes. Gender is about cultural practices. Sex is what is between our legs. Gender is what is between our ears. My male sex means that I can grow a beard. My male gender means it's socially acceptable for me to do so, but not in conservative societies to wear high heels and makeup. Of course, there's nothing objectively male or female about shoes and clothes. They are aspects of gender, and they are socially constructed. So simply put, what Michelson is expressing here has become kind of the dominant way of thinking about gender and sex in our world today. That sex is more about the physical attributes that human beings are born with, namely chromosomes, and as Michelson so eloquently puts it in this quote, what's between our legs, then in an effort to divorce biological sex from gender, he says that gender is what is in our minds and gender is more of a social construct than it is a physical or biological reality. Now, we'll say more about this issue in particular as we get later on into our series when we talk about how Christians should respond uh, to LGBT issues. But today we are focusing on establishing what the Bible has to say about male and female, in particular God's design and purpose in creating males and females. Now, 
One of the reasons that we've made such an effort throughout this series to approach it from a biblical perspective is that we want to be clear that our opinions are not the ultimate authority on questions like this. It's not about our perspective. It's not necessarily about what the what people around us are telling us to do or what the culture says we should do. It's asking these questions from the standpoint of what does God have to say about these things according to his word and from the Bible. But I think even then, it's important to establish why we should clarify male and female because that quote that I just read from Michelson is actually taken from an article where he is trying to argue or make the case for the fact that the Bible actually says that gender is merely a mentality or a social construct. In other words, he concedes that God creates us physically and biologically as male and female, but he would also say that at the same time, the Bible also presents to us the fact that gender can be about a mentality or a social construct, and that, which opens the door, of course, to all kinds of aspects of what gender may be. So is that true? And we want to ask that from a biblical perspective. What does the Bible say about sex and gender? Are there only two genders, or are there many? What connection is there, then, between our physical and biological design and gender? Well, we need to look at a few places in the Bible to answer those questions, and let's begin with Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, because this is the first chapter in the Bible, and it's also the first place where we see the words male and female used in reference to human beings. You may know the verse. It says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, in this case, the words in the original Hebrew do actually refer primarily to physical, biological bodies. In fact, when we see male and female there, even translated into English, those correspond to our descriptions about biological and physical uh, realities in human bodies. And as we anticipated then, this shows us God's design, that there are two biologically distinct beings, a male and a female. So is there anything in in the creation account then that tells us about gender? Because that's a big question we're dealing with. Well, the creation account, you may know this, does not end at the end of chapter one. In fact, if chapter one tells us what the human beings are and that they're creatures created in the image of their creator, chapter two tells us who they are. It functions as more of an expansion on what the identity of these two human beings are and what they've been called to do by God, in other words, what their purpose is. So in other words, if chapter one is about what they are, chapter two is about their identity. And get this, as a parallel account to what we just saw in chapter one, we're presented with an account in chapter two about God creating male and female. Genesis chapter two, verses 22 through 24. And the rib that God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they will become one flesh. So get this, whereas in Genesis chapter one, the words that are translated male and female refer to human beings as physical creations. Now we get to chapter two and notice the language changes here. We go from male to female to man and woman. And the reason for that is the Hebrew words are different. Whereas the Hebrew word in chapter 1 refers to the physical nature of these beings, in chapter 2 it refers more to their identity, man and woman. And in this case, when we see these two descriptions put together, we see the congruency of biological sex 
with gender together as God's design. Because chapter one is a story of the overall view of creation. Chapter two is the spotlight then on humanity. So it repeats and it combines with the uh, narrative from chapter one. So I think we can say, at least at this point, despite what culture might tell us, the Bible tells us that humanity is in fact gender binary, with genders that correspond to our physical design. As Kevin DeYoung puts it, he says this, the Bible knows no other gender categories besides male and female. While men and women in scripture may express their masculinity and femininity in a wonderful diversity of ways, scripture still operates with the binary categories of men and women. Okay, so here's why that is important for us to realize for our purposes today. That in God's design, male and female as man and woman is not an arbitrary thing. Male and female as man and woman are God's idea. You know, when God created Adam and Eve, he didn't stand back and take their feedback on whether or not they thought he did a good job. He just designed them the way that he wanted them to be. He did this because male and female actually have a specific and important and valuable function in the calling forth of creation. And this is, what, again, what Genesis 2 is all about. In chapter 2, the spotlight is on human beings as the ones who have a special purpose in creation. This is critical to see because here it is again. This is the bigger picture of why this whole discussion about sex and gender is so important. Not, not because it's just merely moral or personal or political, but because God created with a design and a purpose in mind. It's bigger than all of those things. Now, so now we're getting closer to answering the question that we asked at the beginning. Why did God create male and female? And after laying the foundation we have, I think we can now move into answering that question quickly with four different parts. And these four parts all start with, with a word, uh, all, 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 all are represented by a word that starts with a W, I should say, because alliteration is fun and because alliteration helps us remember things. And I think this is important to remember. So the first thing is this, worth. According to the Bible, the ultimate worth of a human being, the premium quality that makes a human being distinct from all other aspects of creation is that human beings are uniquely created in the image of God. And as much as we're told or as much as we may want to believe at times that other things determine our worth, our socioeconomic status, our career, our health, our abilities, our accomplishments, our nationality, maybe even our gender, those things when it all comes down to it, do not give us our ultimate worth. The only thing that gives us our worth is the fact that the image of our creator is in us. And this is something that none of us can produce, and yet it's present in every single one of us as human beings. This is why every life, the life of an enemy, the life of a criminal, the life of an immigrant, the life of the unborn, is inherently worth the exact same in God's eyes as your life or my life is. And it's not our place to assign value to that because it's God who is the one who has stamped his image and his worth on every single human being. Now, the image of God entails a lot of things, but all of these things fall under the ultimate purpose of making the essential nature of God represented in creation. And so the image of God reflects to one another the, image, uh, the worthiness of God to us, the glory of God. It also reflects out to creation, and then it reflects back to God, who God is. And so the primary reason that human beings exist is then to reflect the essential nature of God and the other thing that the image of God allows us to do, to have relationship with him. And as far as our discussion of male and female goes today, this is why this is so important again. God created male and female in his image. 
So God created them both in his image, and although Genesis 2 tells us that woman is created from the rib of the man, at the same time, Genesis 1 reminds us that they were both directly created in the image of God. And it's only in the image of God, which both male and female clearly have, which determines their worth. So what we're getting to is male and female equal in worth, yet at the same time, there is obviously a difference here. What we see is that God creates male and female equal, but there is also an obvious difference. And the question becomes, why is there a difference that's highlighted here? Well, that leads us to our second reason that God created male and female. Another W word, the word work. You know, one of the main reasons that we, or one of the main ways that we see the differences between the essential nature of male and female highlighted is in the work that they are told to do by God. So we go back to Genesis 1 again. Prior to Genesis 1.27, which tells us that male and female are created in God's image, God says this in verse 26. Then the Lord said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Notice that God's decision here to create man, which is really mankind in this case, is immediately given the command to have dominion over all creation. Plants, animals, everything that God has created. So what does it mean to have dominion? Well, in this case, it is to represent the benevolent authority of God over all creation. Not in a way that dominates, but in a way that brings flourishing to God's creation and in a manner that glorifies God. And we're told what that looks like in a couple of other places in the creation narrative. The first place is actually two verses later in verse 28. And it says this, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, they're to take responsibility for God's creation, and to work to cause everything to flourish, including being fruitful themselves, and enjoying the creation that God has given them. Now the second place happens in chapter two in a couple of different places where the man and the woman are given specific callings under that headline of exercising dominion and causing flourishing in creation. Genesis 2.15 is the command to the man. Remember, this is before the woman is created. And God says this to the man. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So the man's directive there is to work and keep the creation. Now the calling to work is pretty clear. It's to really use the creation to produce, to create, to innovate, to discover, and to develop the raw materials that God has put into the earth. To keep, on the other hand, is a little bit different. It actually balances out the working of it. It is is a command to care for the creation, to allow it to flourish, and to care for the resources that are in the creation that God's given us. Now then, having given the calling to to the man, God creates the woman out of Adam, and in verse 18, gives her a calling as well. And he says this in his design of her. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, Kirsten's going to talk a little bit later about the helper role of a woman, and I think it's only fitting that she does that because this is a phrase that has often been misunderstood by both men and women inside and outside the church. And in some ways, it's, it's been taken to mean that women are somehow inferior to men or have an inferior role to men, and so that's not what this means. Kirsten's going to elaborate, that, elaborate on that a little bit more. However, I think it does show us that men and women, again, are different, created differently for different roles. And really, this shouldn't be a shock to us. As much as some people today want to conflate the genders, it's God's design for there to be two separate, distinct 
genders. And this is really self-evident to anybody who wants to be honest enough just to observe the behaviors of human beings. For instance, I love stand-up comedy. I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy. And one of the things I love about stand-up comedians is a really good stand-up comedian is a real good observer of humanity and the world around us in general. Because a good joke, two components of a really good joke, have to do with universality. In other words, everything, in other words, most people understand the subject that you are talking about when you make a joke. And two, that there's some element of truth to it. In other words, it's funny because it's true. And when you, whenever you, I don't know how, how long it's been since you, you know, uh, were able to watch a stand-up com comedian, but one of the things that's evident in almost every stand-up comedian's act is a reference to the differences between the genders and the struggle between male and female. In other words, if a comedian's married, he's going to talk about the struggle that he has with his wife. And those are some of the best jokes because we all get them, we all experience that, and there's an element of truth to them. At the same time, most sitcoms are written with that premise, lots of jokes about the male and female gender interacting with one another, and think about romantic comedies. I mean, how many of those are written under that same kind of premise? But here's the thing, it's not just about jokes, it's and it's certainly not a social construct either. If it was, we would see those differences in one culture and in one generation and not in others, right? Yet we see these differences between the genders in all cultures throughout history, Eastern cultures as well as Western cultures, modern cultures as well as ancient cultures, developing nations as well as developed nations. I mean, these general dynamics of the differences between the genders are played out all over the place. So as Stan Grintz realized, uh, relays, not only is this seen in our own observation, but sociological studies repeatedly have demonstrated this. He says this, there are important distinctions between the sexes. Humans can exist only as male and female, and this primary distinction is deeper than mere physical features related to reproduction. The assertion that certain basic distinctions between the sexes do exist has gained support through recent anthropological research. One widely held conclusion sees men as being more linear and rational, whereas women are more oriented to a network of relationships embedded within the social context. The core properties of femininity can be conceptualized as a sense of communion and those of masculinity as a sense of agency. So did you catch that? The sense of communion and the sense of agency is also seen in the creation calling. Again, man to work the ground, the sense of agency, and, and woman to be a companion, a helper, to provide for the loneliness of man. Not just for one man, but to bring relational communion to the human creation. Now, one of my favorite quotes about the differences between men and women relates to how we communicate and really, I think, speaks to this. It's an Emerson Ezurit's quote, and he says this, men communicate to report, which is consistent, of course, with the agency, while women communicate to build rapport, which is consistent, of course, with communion. Now, Grenz continues with his conclusions in talking about how men and women see the world. He says, a case in point are the differences noted by anthrop anthropologists that for several of these distinctions may be readily linked to our differing roles in childbearing. Only the female has the capacity to nurture developing life within herself, whereas the male must always nurture externally. Studies from neuropsychology as well as anthrop anthropology have given us an additional window into these differences. Ben Witherington says this, men and women also think differently, even dream differently. Women, it is purported, are more readily available or more readily able to use simultaneously the left brain and the right brain functions. As a result, women are, are apparently more capable of holistic reasoning, whereas men tend to, tend to be more analytical. I know my wife will appreciate that one. 
But these studies really back up, I think, what a lot of us already know from simple observation. And this doesn't mean that we sell out to stereotypes of men just needing to be one type of guy who hunts and grows a beard and hammers drywall all day, and women just needing to be one type of woman who's barefoot at home in the kitchen. As Kevin DeYoung said earlier, I think there's a diversity of masculinity and femininity that is healthy and God-ordained. But those diversities should not blur the differences between men and women, which has an even bigger, bigger purpose than just kind of what we do in this world. Which brings us to the next of our four W's for why God created two genders, and it is this, withness. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about the differences between men and women, and this word withness, which is actually a word, is part of the limitation of using alliteration and especially words that begin with W. There's not a lot of words that begin with W, but withness is actually a word. You can look it up, and it communicates, I think, one thing that's really important about this, is that although we've spent a lot of time talking about the differences between men and women, and we see these differences in Scripture, these differences aren't meant to separate us. In fact, the way that we look at them in Scripture, God has created these differences in a way that is really meant to draw us together. Because what happens is that we see that singularly, as a man or as a woman, I cannot fully represent the image of God by myself. A man needs a woman to do that. A woman needs a man in order to fully represent the image of God. You know, the solution to Adam's loneliness was, again, not just a solution to one man's loneliness. It was a solution to the fact that the man alone could not fully reflect the image of God, that he needed the woman in order to do that in a way that she could only, only she could uniquely do it. Again, in Genesis 2, 23 through 24, when Adam says, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is in the midst of a creation that is still good and without sin, and yet there's a longing there. And what is Adam longing for? He's longing for the at last, not just a companion for himself, not just someone to help him with the work that needs to be done, but really his statement of at last is a bigger picture of the fact that God's design in humanity is now complete. Now that there is a man and a woman to fully reflect the image of God in humanity, again, not something that a man could do by himself, now we see God, as we see the essential nature of God in the image of human beings, the essential nature of community. Now, there's a lot to be said about marriage. Of course, in verse 24, there's a lot that talks about marriage and how the unity of marriage reflects God's nature. But the bigger picture of this, I think, is how the nature of God in community really reflects the image of God. So you don't have to be married to fully reflect the image of God, but you do have to be in community. Again, from Stan Grants, he says this, the image of God is primarily a relational concept. Ultimately, we reflect God's image in relationship. Thus, the imago Dei, which is another word for image of God, is not primarily an individual possession, but a corporate or social reality, present among humans in relationship or in community. So when you put the differences of men and women that we talked about earlier against the backdrop of these characteristics that fully reflect God and that he has both agency and communion in his nature and it reflects an eternally communing triune God, we begin to see the picture of God's design in humanity. Why male and female are different and why they're both essential and important to God's ultimate design. And it's in their compatibility and their unity despite the fact that they are different that fully reflects the image of God in humanity. All of which brings us to our last W, the reason that God created male and female in the first place for worship. You know, ultimately God creates for his own glory and he calls us to enjoy his glory and to enjoy glorifying him. 
Coincidentally, this is the definition of worship, glorifying God and enjoying his glory. And we're reminded of this by the image of God put in us, which certainly includes our sex and our gender together being lived out. And by the way, let me just say this at this point. This is why issues of sex and gender are so important and so much of a personal thing for people, especially for those who struggle reconciling their biological sex with the gender identity that they feel in their own lives. Because God has created these aspects to be so deeply embedded in who we are. And when they don't align, it causes a lot of fracturing and a ton of discontent in a, in a person's life. And so we need to love and we need to have mercy and we need to understand and we need to listen to those who struggle with these kinds of issues. Again, we're gonna hit that a little later in our series, but I think that's important to point out here as well. However, in all these cases, even if it is difficult, we are called to trust the way that God has created us, which includes how we worshiped as gendered people. To trust that when we live within the design and calling that God has placed, in us as people created in his image, both male and female, distinct, but also needing one another to reflect God's image fully, then no matter how we feel about it, worship becomes a choice. We choose to trust God as an act of worship. Okay, so since it's Mother's Day and we're talking about this issue of gender, as we mentioned earlier, we want to honor our women today. And we're going to do that by highlighting what it means to be uniquely created in the image of God as a woman. And since I'm not qualified really to speak on that as much as, let's say, a woman would be, uh, we're going to talk to a woman about that reality. So in just a minute here, we're going to take a look at a video honoring our mothers today. And after the video, when we come back, we're going to sit down with uh, Kirsten Snary, who is a woman, who is a mother and is a leader in our church, one of our staff members about the image of God in women. And let me just say this to you, man. I think a lot of times we hear men talking about, especially in the church, about what it means to be a woman. I think it's important for us to listen to a woman about what it means to be a woman created in the image of God. So I'm looking forward to this. I hope you are too. We'll be right back. So hey everybody, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed our Mother's Day video. I'm back here with Kirsten Snary, who of course is a member of our staff team here at North. You may know her that way, but Kirsten, for those who don't know you, could you tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure, thanks for having me. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Wish I could be here with you in person. Um, I am Kirsten Snary. I am married to Scott, have two kids, Janelle and Austin. They are awesome. And this church here is a part of my family as well. And one of the benefits I feel like I have been blessed with is that I was raised in a family surrounded by women. I'm one of four girls. And it was also a family that really highly valued women. And so that's just a passion of mine is to help women understand their value. Great, thanks. Yeah. And if you don't mind, we're just gonna ask you a few questions sure. that we have and, and you can respond as, okay. uh, as you'd like. But uh, the first question I'd like to ask you, kind of based on what we've talked about already this morning, is when you look at the Bible, what do you notice about how we see women portrayed in Scripture? I think the main thing I like to view about how women are portrayed is the way Jesus dealt with people and how he dealt with women in particular. And um, he, was, he came into the scene, he came into the world at a time when women were not valued at all. Um, Aristotle used to say that women were deformed males. Um, Josephus, first century Jewish historian, said that um, in every respect, women were inferior to men. Um, and then Jewish men had this prayer of thanksgiving that they would say every morning, they would say, blessed are you, O Lord, ruler of the universe who has not created me a man, or a woman, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so they already are not valued at all. 
And so Jesus came to the scene and he valued women immensely. I mean, just looking at the very beginning of the New Testament, when you see the genealogy of Jesus, and there are five women in there. And not only that, women weren't in genealogies, but these women were, came from broken past, they came from messy backgrounds, and that's why Jesus came. And I think that's um, important to recognize just right from the get-go. But there's, there are several examples. One of them is there's a woman um, who has this bleeding disorder. She comes to, she's in this crowd, she, it's very crowded, she shouldn't be there anyway, she's considered unclean and she touches the hem of Jesus's cloak and that would have made him unclean. And instead of being angry or instead of shaming her, he lifts her up, he calls her daughter mm -hmm. and he restores her, he heals her and he sees value in her. Mm -hmm. um, hold on. And there's a woman, um, the story about the sinful woman and how her tears, she is washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying him, his feet with her hair. And he's in this home of this Pharisee who, who's saying, don't you know who this woman is? And he, Jesus of course knows who this woman is. And he respects her, he loves her. Mm -hmm. And he not only forgives her, but he uses her as an example to this Pharisee as a woman who has faith as a woman who is um, loved and valued, and he sees value in her. And then there's the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and Jesus is talking to her. Not only is he a man talking to a woman who that didn't happen, but he's a, he's a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman, and that was huge. Mm -hmm. And he not only respected her and showed her kindness and compassion, but he revealed who he was to her. He revealed his identity as the Messiah to her. Hmm. He valued her. And Jesus used a lot of examples of women throughout his ministry um, to show their faithfulness and to use them as examples of faith. He, he talked about the, the widow's might. He talked about the um, persistent widow. Uh, women were the first ones at the scene of the resurrection. And that's significant because they weren't considered to be witnesses at the time. And so it's neat to see that God used women in that story to elevate them because he saw value in them. Um, and all throughout the rest of the scriptures, you see women in his ministry. You see that he befriends them. You see that he elevates them and he disciples them. Um, even in Luke 8, you see that Jesus is traveling from city and to village and he's proclaiming the good news of the of the kingdom of God and these women were, were traveling with him in his ministry he allowed them into his ministry because he saw value in them hmm. good and we've been talking this morning about the uniqueness of male and female man mm -hmm. and woman in the uh, you know created as being created in the image of God how do you see the uniqueness of a woman of the image of a of God in a woman in in the bible well, you brought up the creation account, and I think that that's an important place to start in how God created us equal but different, and how he said we need a helper for the man. And so that word helper, ezer in Hebrew, has been misused, like you've said. Um, it's been thought of as you know less than or a subordinate position, but I actually love the word because 
it actually is the same word that is used for God himself throughout scripture. Um, there are passages where um, it'll say, like in Psalm 33, 20, it says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Um, or in Psalm 70, it says, you are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. So by no means is God inferior to man if he is our helper. Mm-hmm. But same goes for women. By no means is a woman inferior to man because he used that word in the creation account. And I think that's important to recognize. Um, And then there's the story of Eve giving birth. Okay, so in Genesis 4, Eve gives birth to the first baby. I can't even imagine what that was like (laughs) and how probably frightening and and unusual that was. But I love the way she says it. She says, uh, with God, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I think that's just a great way to say it. But that's such a unique and a unique capability that women have, creating mm-hmm. life, creating, and like you said, nurturing life in their womb. Men and women can both nurture, but women have this unique capability. And mm-hmm. I think that's, it's a part of the image of God that we, we can't have without women. We can't see that creating life and that new life without women. Yeah. Um, in Psalm 139, David says, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend who did in vitro back in the 90s. Her daughter is now getting married this summer. And um, I remember when she was going through the process and they were looking at this fertilized egg that started dividing and multiplying. And she said it was amazing to see that it looked like a little knitting um, mm-hmm. pattern. Mm-hmm. in the Petri dish. Yeah. And it goes back to what you were talking about a few weeks ago when you were saying how all scripture is God-breathed. Yeah. David didn't know what that looked like thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. but yeah. God did. Yeah. And he breathed those words through David. Yeah. But it says, wonderful are your works, my soul knows it well. And I think the soul is the aspect of us, that immaterial part that is unique. And as there are so many unique um, differences between men and women, But like you said, there are a variety of differences between men and between women. There's a spectrum. And there are stereotypes, for sure. I was not a stereotypical young girl. Um, I would have never done the dolls and hopscotch. I was wanting to climb a tree and race every guy on the playground. (laughs) So there are differences, and yet that's what's so fun. I love being a woman. I love the differences between me and my friends. And I love that we're still close and we can be such good friends. But there still are differences and uniqueness about women. And so uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is let's look at the things that women tend to be like. They tend to be relational. Like you said, they have this, that's part of the image of God that they are created in. They tend to be relational. They tend to have, um, be in touch with their emotions. They tend to, have this ability to seek out friendships. And um, there was a study done at the University of uh, Cambridge, and they did, they studied 90,000 people to see if there was such a thing as a women's in- instinct. And they were asked to look at photos of people and look at the eyes. And women far outnumbered men, and the, the ability to sense what the mood was as they looked at these eyes. 
And it, I think it's interesting how scientists can't find a gene, they can't find a scientific reason, but the differences are there and they can't deny it. Yeah. And that's what, just one example. But I think it's just, it's one of those things that spiritually, we have some differences in the way we relate to the Lord. We, we may have some sensitivities to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit. We love to be in community with each other as we're digging into scripture and learning more about the Lord. Mm. It's good. Um, so it's often been observed in the Bible that even though God the Father doesn't have a body or any biological sex in that way, he is often referred to, though, in masculine terms. And so, how can women relate to God as Father and Jesus as a man? I think that's a great question, because it's true. We are made in his image, both male and female, and yet God is spirit. Mm -hmm. And God is not biologically male, and yet it's, it's interesting to see how all throughout scripture, he reveals who he is in both masculine and feminine ways. And so for instance, there's, there are a few examples. Um, I know when Jesus is lamenting over Jerusalem, he says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Or God has described himself as like a mother eagle stirring up the nest, fluttering over her young. He, he describes himself as a mother or a nursing mother. Um, I, there's one talking about, we hear the term mama bear, and uh, it's in the Bible. God refers to himself as a mother bear robbed of her cubs. And I think it's just beautiful to see that there are these aspects of God that are so feminine, and that's exactly why he needed to create women and men to be in relationship with each other and to, to view God better so that we could have a better understanding of who he is. Um, and we are made in the image. We are made according to his likeness. We are made, we bear the image of Christ or of God, but we are not the image of God. Christ is the image of God. And I think that's an important thing to understand because, um, you know, in Second Corinthians, it says the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We are not the image of God, but it takes both male and female to better represent the image of God. Jesus is the perfect image of God. Um, in Colossians 1.15, it says, he is the image of the invi invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so Jesus is our trajectory for both man and woman. And the more like Jesus we become, the more our image or our imago Dei mm -hmm. is revealed, is displayed yeah. um, for both men and women. Um, and in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all, with unveiled, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. And then Colossians 3.10, We put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So I just think it's important to look at all of Scripture and the many ways that God reveals himself to us, and that neither male nor female can perfectly mirror the image of God. And it's so necessary to have both of us in order to represent who, the, who God is. Yeah, yeah. So the big takeaway on Mother's Day is that when you're acting like a mama bear, that's yeah. out of the image of God, right? It's truly, yeah. truly out yeah. of the image of so God. So happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so 
So what do you think, let's speak to our men for just a minute, and what do you think that our men need to know about how to honor the uniqueness of women in God's design? I think there's, you talked a lot about um, value and worth, Mm -hmm. and I have a funny story, and this does tie into it, but when Scott and I first got married, we had these horrible sofas, the ugly, old, hand-me-down, just disgusting sofas. And I really wanted a new sofa. And, but we didn't have a huge budget for one, so I kept looking for these sofas, and I'd find one, and I'd show it to Scott from this ad, and I'd say, oh, look at this great sofa. It's only $150 or something. And he helped me understand a couple things, value and patience. And he would say, that is cheap, <laughs> and it is not good quality, and it's not going to last. So we did, about another year later, we got this great sofa. And it lasted for a long time. But I learned something in that. I did learn value and that value comes with a price. And I'm not talking value like a bargain. I'm not talking about like a value pack of pudding. I'm talking about value as in worth, Mm -hmm. as in something valuable. And I think men and women, we were bought with a price. And that was, there was nothing cheap about that. Um, It was highly valuable. Um, It was free to us but it was highly valuable. And I just think um, men, most of the men I know are for women. Mm-hmm. They really are. They really want to see us succeed. They want us to use our gifts. They want to encourage us. Um, but sometimes we get confused or sometimes sin gets in the way. And I think we view each other incorrectly. And I would like us, both men and women, to view each other the way God views us. Mm-hmm. and value each other the way God values us. And I think about the issue of pornography, and I, I just wonder if you view your sisters in Christ, if you view women as your sisters in Christ, and you view women as image bearers of God, it might make you think differently about that. Mm-hmm. And we need men. We need each other because we are co-laborers in Christ. We are trying to glorify God And we can only do that together. And so I just, I want to encourage the men to just pray, just ask God that you would see women the way God sees them and that you would value women the way he values them. Mm, So good. A great reminder. So I've got one last question for you. Since it is Mother's Day, as we celebrate mothers today and we honor our women today, what would you like to say to our women out there? Well, I want to first start with the moms and say Happy Mother's Day. And we need you, we love you. Um, You are highly valued and you have a high calling. Motherhood is not easy. There are times that you may wanna just lock yourself in the closet and (laughs) there are times that it's hard and we cry and we need each other. And I think that's the unique gift of women too, is that we have each other and we are for each other. So women, just know that you are valuable, you are important, and this is an important calling. Um, And also, just remember, there's no perfect mom, there's no perfect child, but I do believe that God in his perfect wisdom perfectly planned you to be the mom for your children, whether biological, adopted, fostered, you are the perfect one for your children. And he will give you the strength if you lean on to him He will give you the strength. He will help you do this job. 
Um, but for women in general, I do want to tell you, we need you. We need role models of women who are using their gifts to glorify the Lord. Um, Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Um, and we all have gifts to be used, and we want, um, we want our women to see their own value. Okay, I, I, I talk to men about how they need to see women the way God does, but women, you need to know your value and your worth, and you need to know that you are created in the image of God in a perfectly beautiful way that we need. Um, I think God prepared beforehand, you know, these works that he's planned for us, Ephesians 2.10 said. And so I think when we get um, insecure, if we allow fear or insecurity to get in the way, we aren't using our gifts and we aren't being um, used by God the way he wants us to be used. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I do feel that one other thing, above my identity as a woman is my identity as in Christ. I think that's really important for all of us, men and women, to understand that, you know, God created us, male or female, but far more important than that is who we are in Christ. And I just think that's an important thing to remember. Mm -hmm. um, I think we all know, we've all heard the verse. Even if you haven't gone to church a lot, you've probably heard the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, um, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And I love that verse, but I think I'm more challenged and encouraged with the two verses following because they say, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So I just wanna encourage all of you, men and women, seek him, my friends, because he sees value in you. Hmm. Kirsten, thank you so much. Of this course. has been so valuable, and I appreciate the time that you've taken to, to be here, but also prepare and, and do all sure. that you've done this week. So thank you so much for giving us some great insight that I think is unique and something we needed to hear, especially today. Would you. You, would you mind praying for us as we close out? Of course. Thank you. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the moms and the women in our lives who have uh, been an, an example for us, of trusting you, of leaning into you. Lord, thank you for the men in our lives who um, value us, who respect us and encourage us and encourage us to use our gifts for your glory. Lord, we see in your perfect wisdom how you created us, male and female, how you created us to better represent who you are. Lord, you're trying to reveal yourself to us through scripture. And the way you do that is by using both men and women. I pray for each woman here um, that she would understand her worth, understand her value, and she would use her gifts. Lord, thank you. Um, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Kirsten. Of Happy course. Mother's Day. Thank you. you. Yeah. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor.
All right, thanks again for joining us. Again, happy Mother's Day to all of you. I hope you enjoyed being with us. Uh, we enjoyed certainly worshiping today together. I want to say one thing quickly. I think this is probably something that's on everybody's mind at this point. The question that looms in, uh, over all churches and ministries at this point is, when are we going to reopen and when are we going to be able to meet again in person together? Well, we don't. The, the bad news is we don't necessarily know that date yet, but the good news is that we have been working together as a staff and as an elder team on putting together an intentional plan on getting ourselves ready for whenever that date may come. Uh, you're going to see within the next couple of weeks us putting together actually a phased plan that will be a detailed plan about what we're going to do with, with our different phases of reopening as we get ready uh, to join together again. Believe me, I want to be together as much as anybody, but I want to encourage you in all of this. I know everybody's got a different opinion about when we should open and what date that might be. I want to encourage you this morning that sometimes those opinions can lead us to disunity within the church, and I want to I want to remind us how important unity is in the church. We're going to do everything we can to maintain the unity. And although you may have your opinion and there may be different opinions uh, across the community here at North, we want to make sure that we stay together in unity. We can disagree, but disunity should not be a part of who we are. And so I want to encourage you and remind you with that as you are interacting and kind of expressing your opinions about those things. We all have opinions on this because nobody knows for sure. That's the thing about this. But when we get closer to making that decision, trust that we are going to be as a staff talking about it as we already have and praying about it. We actually have an elder meeting tomorrow night on Monday night and I, I think a big topic of that is praying for wisdom on what to do next as an elder team and as a leadership team. So be praying for us as we uh, engage with that process and be looking out for those uh, phased plans as we unveil them over the next couple of weeks. God bless you all. May God keep you and may he bless you and your family as you enjoy Mother's Day together. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.